Come back on. All right. So this morning I wanted to talk about the wound that seeks the arrow. Um, which is a uh, counterintuitive idea. Maybe you hear that, you go, why would the wound seek an arrow? Um, but trying to look at this process uh, that the Buddha calls uh, Dukkha Sankara the ways in which our activities and our mental proliferations um, get caught in these habits of uh, reharming. And, okay. <laughs> I like to put everything behind me, but I'm not so good, <laughs> not so good at that. And usually we, to give us a baseline or a, a doorway into this idea of a wound that seeks an arrow, Usually we identify that uh, our relationship to pain, so we could talk about pain and, and its association with a sense of being wounded by pain. And usually we talk about how we have a hatred towards pain or an anger towards pain, aversion to pain. But I think if we, if we back up a little bit further, what happens probably a, a moment or two before that is that we're afraid of pain. that we are afraid of getting hurt, we're afraid of getting wounded, we're afraid of not getting what we want, and we have a whole uh, process of historicization over how that has been true in the past, and because that's been true in the past, I don't want the, that to happen in the future, and so I want to protect myself and defend myself and make sure that doesn't happen again, but you can't really do that. Uh, and so this wound that's still open uh, seeks this arrow uh, because it's not fully liberated. It doesn't understand uh, the process and how that happens. And I'm sure some of you are familiar with, there's a very uh, popular story from the Pali Canon, from the Buddhist teachings about the two arrows, the, the two darts, I believe it's called. And the Buddha says that, uh, a person uh, feels a painful dart, uh, a painful arrow, that we, we have a painful experience and we become upset and we, and we lament and we, and we beat our chest and we uh, suffer and we, we, we are unable to tolerate that. And so because of that, we shoot ourselves with a second arrow. And that's the suffering. That's the, the suffering and the story and the, uh, the ways in which we are unable to to be with it or understand the, the initial arrow or the initial wound. And so that oftentimes in uh, unconscious strategies, we go out and we, we in this constant fear of pain, uh, I'm so much of my life, if I'm honest, uh, spend a lot of my mental energy uh, scanning my environment, looking into the days of he ahead, my relationships with people, my finances, uh, my life, myself, and uh, I'm afraid that something is going to happen. And actually that fear uh, is actually seeking that pain, it's seeking that arrow. 
Perhaps you've noticed this uh, at times. And again, it's very counterintuitive to hear that. We would think, well, well, I'm just going to stop doing that. That sounds silly to do that. That's that's ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? Um, And because we have these uh, woundednesses, this unliberated experience uh, that is constantly monitoring or scanning and and the way that we defend the heart uh, and the heart shrinks back and we become in in a stance of of defendedness, um, a a lack of vulnerability, a sense of vain attempt of self-protection through the lens of ignorance and fear. And that doesn't really work so well, it turns out. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that a lot of different traditions have pointed out that that does not work so well. The Buddhist tradition certainly talks about that. But even in in a therapeutic context, uh, in Western psychological context, that we we see that this is uh, becoming very true. And you know, pain doesn't happen in a vacuum. So a lot of the fear that we have of pain is come from this historicization around our memories and the ways that we've been hurt before and uh, the things that we're afraid of. A lot of that is, it's not, doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's, it's predetermined. There's mental processes associated with that. There's memories. Um, there's, there's experiences that we have had happen in the past. We're afraid they're going to happen again in the future. So it's not this blank slate experience of pain that there is a history. We all have a pain history. And oftentimes we don't want to talk about our pain history. We want, to, uh, we want to dismiss our pain history. We want to pretend like it wasn't so bad. Uh, we want to act like everything's okay. And have these inauthentic experiences in life. How often do you find yourself in an experience where you're having a hard time or you're having a bad day or things aren't going well and uh, you're suffering maybe a little bit and you encounter somebody and they go, how you doing? And you go, oh, good. <laughs> so good. Everything is going exactly how I want. No aggravation or disappointment in my life. So good. To be me. As you're literally trying to hold it all together in that moment. And and really robbing the other person the opportunity to have some compassion for anything that you're struggling with. These masks, these... uh, ways in which we present to the world because we don't want anybody to know that we have uh, these wounds or these experiences. Our culture is not very supportive of that. I find it's interesting that um, I myself, uh, two times a month, go to see the $200 an hour hour person, who I call my therapist, so I can have these conversations in a closed room with a little noise machine outside of the door so nobody can hear what I'm saying. (laughs) God forbid anybody find out that I've had a bad time about things. And of course, so much value in that, right? That's not, uh, I mean, I I participate in therapeutic relationships, um, both giving and receiving, and I found a lot of value in that. But I think it's interesting that that's what it's come down to in our culture. And so talking about Dukkha Sankara, I think that this term Dukkha, which is a very difficult term to translate, which is the Buddha talked about as the first noble truth, life is difficult. Life is hard. You don't get what you want sometimes. Sometimes you get what you don't want. This 
aggregates, these five aggregates, this body, mind, emotional experience is difficult. And, and also him talking about Dukkha being a characteristic of all phenomenon. All phenomenon carries with it this characteristic of unreliability or dissatisfaction. And so for me, I think that the way that I like to think about Dukkha in terms of a practical, colloquial way is that we are all vulnerable. We're all vulnerable to, to loss and to pain and to disappointment and to aggravation. Uh, we're vulnerable to get hurt. We're highly woundable creatures. We're susceptible, we're vulnerable um, to these experiences and we really we don't want that to be true. To some degree we know that it is, but then we, of course, we, 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 again, we develop all these denial strategies and we get involved in all these mental processes and ways in which we defend ourselves against that and this vain attempt to pretend that like it's not true, even though you know that it is. And this is really the, 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 the core of, of the Buddha's Dharma, is that, yeah, this is how it is for us here. This is, um, this is true. This is life. This is uh, the struggle that we face. If you were born into a body in this world, suffering, you're going to get some on you. you know, you're going to get a little bit of that. If you, if you work in a paint store, you're going to come home with paint on your clothes every day. Right? And if you live in this world, you're going, it's going to get messy at times. It's not neat. It's not clean. It's... Uh, it's a wide range of these experiences. Invulnerability, of course, has become a, uh, because of people like Brene Brown and a lot of these therapeutic modalities around authenticity and um, has become a very... Uh, I like that it's actually become part of pop culture, that the being vulnerable is actually a beautiful thing. And the, the paradox for most of us is that the, the heart's strength, the strength of the heart that we all want, actually lies in its weakness, which is quite a paradox. That it's actually the weakness and the vulnerability uh, and the ability to express that, so that's what vulnerability is, is the ability to express your woundedness. It's a skill that, that we're able to engage in and to practice. And the paradox of that, I think, is that the more willing and the more able I am to do that, the stronger I become, the more resilience I have. And, you know, if you, if you have any black and white thinking in your system, as I do, the mind doesn't like that one so much. It's like, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. But maybe when we consider that, we, we, we you know, that, that actually sounds right. That's spot on, isn't it? And so when we look at how does this happen, where does this work in our daily life, whether it's in our practice, is that a lot of times these experiences, uh, these memories, they're nonverbal. There's this direct feeling we oftentimes encounter that as in the body. This is why the foundations of mindfulness are embodiment practice, is that the, uh, the body keeps the score as the famous book title Bessel van der Kock talks about in his book on trauma, that the body keeps the score, that these woundedness and these experiences are directly felt in the body. That's the onset of those experiences. 
And so it's so pragmatic and useful to bring mindfulness into the body and to, and to begin to feel into feeling. We have a direct experience. We feel that. We have a perception about that, a view that arises. And then out of that view, we have a person, a self, and then the activation begins. So I am aggravated and disappointed, feel aggravated and disappointed, feeling directly, perception, I'm aggravated and disappointed. Why am I aggravated and disappointed? I have a problem, aggravated and disappointed. I'm a person who has a problem, aggravated and disappointed. Boy, this happens a lot. This happens a lot. I have this problem of being aggravated and disappointed. I don't want to be aggravated and disappointed. Who did it? What am I going to do about it? Dukkha Sankara. The process. What needs to be fixed? Who do I need to blame? Who do I need to judge? What's the criticism I have about that story, history of myself, the narrative? I'm this person who's aggravated and disappointed and uh, I'm supposed to be a Dharma practitioner who practices overcoming aggravation and disappointment and I'm not so good at that, really not so really, really good at anything actually it turns out. <laughs> and how am I going to fix that? The fix that, where's the fixing of the aggravation and the disappointment? <laughs> the wound seeking the arrow. can't find somebody to blame, whose fault is it, who did it, what am I going to do about this person who said this thing last week, who upset me. When I get back into LA after being in Portland, I'm going to confront this person about this thing they said, and I'm going to let them have it, and they're going to let them know how much of a bad person they are that made me feel aggravated and disappointed. Uh, I have a whole story about that, I and mean, they, they have no idea, of course, what's going on. <laughs> I'll show up to see them, they'll probably give me a big hug and buy me a cup of coffee and ruin the whole thing. <laughs> I was really aggravated and disappointed with you. You're not supposed to be behaving like this. You had a whole rehearsed agenda to let you know how, uh, how much you let me down. And so this, this perception, this fear of perception arises often. It's a regarding. And even if I feel at ease, if I feel okay, if I feel connected, uh, I, I do have a little bit of traumatic, traumatic stress in my system. And so my, the fear comes in and says, yeah, everything's pretty good right now, but just wait a minute. Any second now. <laughs> I'm going to be aggravated and disappointed. Where is it? It's coming. I know it. And then that wound seeking that arrow you'll find it. It's so easy to find what's wrong. If you go looking for what's wrong in your life, you're gonna find it real quick. You'll probably have a whole drop-down menu. <laughs> you just be hypnotized into that. The arising of fear and perception is, I always say, the arising is hypnotizing. It's just like that little kid in the jungle book when his eyes start spinning when he looks into the snake eyes. Man, I really am so bad at life. 
how did I just, where did I, where did it all go wrong? Right. So we, we, get, uh, we get pulled into that, that fear and that, that perception. And, and what that is oftentimes is a perception stress, this word stress. Sometimes Dukkha, uh, Tan Jeff translates Dukkha as stress, which I think is really quite good. And we throw this term around. Like if you go to the doctor and they're not quite sure what's wrong with you, they always say it's stress. It's like, do you have any stress? I'm like, yeah, I totally have stress. <laughs> Who would ever answer that question? No, none, really. I'm... <laughs> what is this stress you speak of? <laughs> I don't have that. <laughs> Everybody has the stress. We have the stress. I got, I got the stress. Got a bad case of the stress. I'm a person who has stress, always stressed. Why am I stressed? Not enough time, not enough money. Things are too expensive. Donald Trump's in the White House. Oh my God. It's all, it's all going down. It's like Armageddon. This is like some biblical shit going on right now. It's like any second now. Fear, perception, fear, perception, fear, perception. This histrionic experience of having been disappointed, aggravated in the past, awaiting that the wound seeking the arrow experience. And, and stress is this perception that, that I don't have the internal resources to meet the external demands. That's what stress is. Have you ever been in a moment, in an experience in life where you think to yourself, I, I just don't have what it takes to get through this. I don't have what it takes to have this argument with my partner, to have this confrontation with my boss, to do this thing, to have this conflict, to deal with this uh, experience. I don't have the internal resources. I don't have internal resources to meet external demands. I'm a person who doesn't have internal resources to meet external demands. I should have these internal resources. Why don't I have them? Why do I have so many external demands? What did I do wrong? Whose fault is it? How did it get like this? I'm a person who's stressed out, who doesn't have internal resources. I'm supposed to be a Dharma practitioner. I'm supposed to be developing these internal resources. I don't have these internal resources. Uh, I think I'm going to just like pick this thing up and just scroll through endless Facebook feeds looking for external resources. <laughs> Which you, I do that 17 times a day. <laughs> and so these mental activities, these processes, switch on. And we look at the, the nature of experience and we look at like, like uh, the, the Pali consciousness, Vedana, feeling, consciousness, feeling, perception, are all rooted in this uh, verb to know, nya, uh, cognition, gnosis, the entomology of these words is that there's a knowing feeling, we want to know feeling, we want to know consciousness, we want to know through perception. But this sankara doesn't have the knowing, it has, it's, an, it's a verbal form, it's rooted in the verb to do. Gotta do, better do, should do, have do, shouldn't have done, wish I'd done, can't believe I did, when are they gonna do, who did it, why did it happen, what am I gonna do about it, who am I gonna fix it? To do, to do, to do, to do, to do, to do. This, what I call sankara is the mind that is to do, the to do mind. Do you have to do in your mind? Anybody, who's the to do list makers in the house? Oh, I love me a to do list. Makes me feel so safe. <laughs> right? That's a strong dukkha sankara. Make a list of things to do. 
I'm not going to do any of those things on the list. <laughs> but I feel so good that I made it. My mom makes to-do lists for my dad, and he goes, bananas. <laughs> she goes out of town, she gives him a list, and he calls me and complains about the to-do list. I'm like, you really ought to try some Buddhist practice, Dad. He's like, yeah. That's your thing. I'm just going to be angry and upset. Okay, Dad. <laughs> Appreciate that. So when we try to navigate these things, it's actually not maybe as complex as you might think that there's been a lot of research done around woundedness. Uh, one of the people that I really appreciate is a, a Dr. Marti Ma Mario Martinez, who uh, has a system called biocognition. And he did a study, an anthropological study around cultures and said that actually all people are wounded in one of three ways histrionically. And that either we're wounded through abandonment, through betrayal, or through shame. And these wounds are pre-verbal, they usually go back to our development, and that we can identify that we speak these Dukkha Sankara languages and these processes through one of these systems, through either abandonment, betrayal, and shame. All three of these types of wounds will usually make us feel angry and hateful. So they all kind of arise in this low-grade sense of dissatisfaction or frustration. We all have all three, so as you're sitting there self-diagnosing yourself, which I know you're doing, uh, we all have all three, but we oftentimes will find that we have, one of them has um, a particular strong characteristic for us. And so I want to talk about that a little bit, that they all have characteristics, they all have causes or installations, and they all have what I call healing fields. That, they, that there's actually things we can do and there's ways in which we can practice to overcome and to begin to work with uh, the nature of our wounds and these experiences. So abandonment, let's start with abandonment, which is my, uh, not mine, I'm betrayal. I'll get to that. <laughs> uh, abandonment is a, is a cold feeling in the body. Uh, and they're all, so it's a coldness, it's a sense of isolation, it's a, it's actually in the body system you'll experience it uh, you, uh, as a type of a coldness when it, when it is on the onset of the abandonment moon. It's usually the direct felt sense of, of a coldness. And they all have a fear of a pain. So again, back to the fear of pain. And the, the abandonment moon is a fear of the pain of aloneness. That the pain of aloneness, which brings into the, the, the characteristic of sort of a fear freezing a kind of a freezing state, which is why it's cold. And, and that oftentimes can be accompanied by a sense of uh, procrastination. And uh, this oftentimes is caused by having been neglected for periods of time in early life, uh, having been ignored, um, having been left alone uh, to deal with yourself, not having the caretaking that, need, that was needed, uh, and often, oftentimes it's an experience of having not been taken seriously. What I feel and what I think, it doesn't matter. My, my, my feelings, my emotions, my desires, my needs, they, they don't actually matter. And so that, that oftentimes can be uh, characterized, and the perception is that if you have this feeling of like, it, I, I don't even, I'm frozen in this, I'm not even going to express my needs, my concerns because nobody really cares anyway. 
universally been abandoned and uh, this aloneness. The betrayal wound is my, is my favorite. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I certainly deal with it a lot. It's hot. It's a hot, it's an anger. Uh, and, and it's the fear of the pain of, of anger itself. Uh, and it's the fear of the pain of having been tricked. And so you can see this with kids quite quickly. If you uh, say to a, a small child, uh, you know, if you, you know, if you, uh, if you eat your broccoli, I'll give you a popsicle. And the kid eats his broccoli, and you don't give him the popsicle. It's been tricked. Now the, the kids don't have that abstract thinking, but that that actual sense is that uh, there's a, there's a distrust. There's a safety, there's, a, there's a, something about the world that's not safe. And it, it also gives this, uh, where the abandoned one was more of a freeze and a fear, um, the betrayal is, is a constant sense of frustration, of, of bewilderment, of just... Uh, and, and so that frustration uh, makes you angry, gets angry, makes me feel angry. Aggravated and disappointed, and I'm this angry, aggravated, disappointed person who doesn't trust anybody because nobody's trustworthy, because historically that's been the case. Why would I trust people? That would be stupid. I've been tricked so many times and been hurt so many times that uh, actually, for me, uh, my experience has been that to, to trust people would just be like, would mean that I was a sucker and mean that, you know, like I'm going to get burned again. So, like, it would just actually not be wise to trust people. And so that, that can be a very um, frustrating place to live. Uh, shame also is a very hot experience. It's the uh, experience of uh, heat. Uh, it's the fear of the pain of uh, embarrassment or rejection. Um, either whether it's... Uh, I'm in, so it's, it's, like, it's like also too, like when you flush, right? Your face, you get embarrassed, your face gets red. So it's really biological. It's, it's, this, it's this sensation that runs up your back, comes across your back, over the top of your head, almost like somebody's putting a, a hood over your head, and this flushing hot face, experience in the face. Almost a paranoid sense of having been found out. It's like, oh, they know. Embarrassed. Now I'm going to be rejected. And the, this is, I think, one of the ones that's most challenging for people to work with, the people that I've worked with, is because it gives rise to a sense of hopelessness. It's all just a big nothing. It says, I have, there's no hope for me. Um, and so that, that is the experience of that. That becomes the, the wound, the arrow in which that seeks is, this, is, is the ridicule and the criticism and the self-blame and the self-judgment and the, and the sort of guilt-tripping that's, that's the way in that wound, that wound seeks that arrow. So, you know, a lot of times we are drawn towards people who are critical and judgmental of us. And a lot of times our, our betrayal wounds really show up in our relationships. Like for me, uh, like one of the causes of betrayal is having been lied to. I remember my first big experience of betrayal was when I found out there was no Santa Claus. And all the other kids already knew. So I was like betrayal and then shame. So it was like kind of a little cocktail of suffering. And I was like, people, I was like, adults lie to me. Uh, having been cheated on, uh, trust broken, agreements not kept. Uh, 
people not living up to their responsibilities. Um, and interestingly enough, histrionically, I have been attracted to romantic partners who tend to cheat on me. This is the wound seeking the arrow. Why am I attracted to people who are going to do that? I don't really know, actually. That's why I pay the guy 200 bucks an hour twice a month. <laughs> I'm like, what is up with that? But we do that. We, because there's, there's, there's such a fear of that that I'm actually drawn towards uh, people who are maybe likely to do that. And some of these, they go deep. Sometimes they can be expressed on the surface. Um, there's, there's oftentimes, of course, a sense of vulnerability. As you kind of hear these ideas, sometimes you sit there and go, oh my God, I just, this, is, this is the last topic of conversations I, I want to have. Right? And then again, in ways in which we pretend like that's been, oh, it, it, pretending that it's been okay. Uh, that defended heart. And what happens actually in, in, in the Buddha calls in the third foundation of mindfulness, chitta, mindfulness of chitta, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, bodhicitta, uh, we have this, this healing field. I call chitta the healing field. And it's the heart that can expand uh, out into these experiences and expanding past the woundedness, past the vulnerability, and almost a willingness to to be hurt or to express that. Um, and that, 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 that's where compassion arises. We have a compassion where we're actually able to go out and to feel into that and to, and to heal into that. Because what happens is that we get that sense and we shrink back. We, we get that sense and we shrink back. How often times in our life do we do that? We, we connect, we come close, we open, but then we, we constantly defend back and we, we, we close up. We close into that. Uh, into that sense of woundedness and then we have these strategies to protect and to avoid and to change and to um, and then it gets really messy after that doesn't it and then the self the history and so there, there there are obviously some solutions and I think that one of the ways that we can begin to do is trying to identify some of the ways in which we're wounded and trying to come up with some solutions and some remedies and some practices which I think the whole of the Dharma um, if we look at the, the structure of the Four Noble Truths, and what I'm saying is, yes, the Buddha is saying that there, there is dukkha. There is woundability. You are subject to it. Sorry. Uh, that's how it is. And that there, there, there are things that cause suffering. The dukkha is not the cause of the suffering. It's this arrow that's seeking to reharm that. It's this craving, this tanha this fixation, this needing things to be different, wanting to be another person, wanting to be another way. I would be happy if only this, I would be happy if only that. All of the, the ways in which the self doesn't want to deal with that and creates all these stories and uh, all the suffering. And then we can learn to cool that down and experience the third noble truth, Nibbana, Nirvana, Niroda, cool. Nibbana means cool. It's an ancient Indian cooking term. It means to have been removed from the flame. We just remove it from the hot flame. And so with the abandonment, 
woundedness, when this experience of the fear, the freeze, the procrastination, um, the strategy to overcome that is a sense of commitment and discipline. And this is really where people can start to turn this around by really being d disciplined about your practice, about making sure that you sit regularly and that you come to groups like this and that you get on retreat and that you, you cultivate sati, bhavana, metta bhavana, the cultivation of awareness, the cultivation of, of metta, of kindness, that actually practice itself uh, makes you feel less alone. Uh, metta for self. Very important for people who have the cold abandonment. Is this, may I be at ease, may I be kind, may I, may I not actually abandon parts of myself? How many ways in which do we have parts of ourselves that we really want to abandon or get rid of? That self-abandonment. And it's, it's about loving kindness. It's about being kind and being friendly with that, turning towards that, towards all of it. All of these parts. And it's really about making yourself a priority. And oftentimes the uh, abandonment uh, can manifest often as a, a codependent, as putting other people's priorities above yours. I'll be happy when you're happy. Has anybody ever done that? I'll do, if I could just make you happy, I would totally be happy. Can't do that one. That's a bad strategy. That's a, the wound seeking the arrow. And oftentimes, we, the people that we try to make happy are people who are the last people we're likely to make happy. <laughs> then again, we get caught in that. So it's, it, it, it's self-discipline. It's a commitment to your practice. It's about making yourself a priority and, and really, really, really generating a bhavana for yourself, metta bhavana, kindness, metta for self. Is, a, is, is the healing field, the chitta healing field of, of working with that. Uh, with the betrayal wound, the, the hot, been lied to, been cheated on, suspicion, I experience that as a, for me, I experience that almost a hyper-vigilant sense of being suspicious all the time. Someone wants to be generous to me, I'm like, okay, what do you want? You know, like really being feeling like I'm being tricked, you're tricking me. In an intimate relationship, this is shown up for me as, as any, any uh, female that I meet who's interested in me, I'm like, stay away, which doesn't help. It's not helpful to engage with people when it's like anybody who, who is friendly or kind or interested in me, I, I, I experience it as a threat. I'm like, cool, so I'm just gonna fall in love with you and you're gonna ruin my life. Cool, let's just do that. When do you wanna start? <laughs> Again, the $200 an hour person becomes very <laughs> helpful in this way. <laughs> and so the, one of the ways that I have found that this is really, really helpful is that this is really where sila is very important, if you have this betrayal one, is that you be, is to have integrity and to trust your own sila, to trust your own behavior, and really to live if I live with integrity, if I have self-trust, if I don't lie and I don't cheat and I don't steal, if I, don't, if I live from a place of sila and integrity, then I'm less likely to assume that other people are, in, are not in integrity. If I, and I also have a history of, of substance abuse and drug addiction and there's many years in my life where I was not the most kind, generous, 
an honest person, which also doesn't help. So by living in this way, I'm less seeking that arrow of having been tricked or being lied to. If I'm lying all the time, I'm assuming you're lying all the time. If I'm not in integrity, I'm assuming that you're not in integrity. And so that we relive this histrionic experience. It's also it's about having integrity. And one of the things that I found to be so helpful that's very challenging is that with betrayal wounds, it's very important to be able to set and to hold boundaries with people, which is the nature of self-compassion. Compassion, self-compassion is all about having a boundary and letting people know that certain things are it's actually not okay. And I've had to put a lot of strong boundaries in some of my relationships and continue. And it's very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable for me to have to do that. With having these strong boundaries. Uh, and also forgiveness. Very, very helpful. Self-forgiveness with these experiences. Being able to forgive ourselves for all of the ways in which we have not done things right or proper. or um, Because with, with betrayal becomes a sense of resentment. And oftentimes, it, I know that for me, with having this kind of tendency, all of the ways in which I try, I've tried to betray myself. Doing things for other people. You ever do something, you ever betray yourself to please somebody else? Yeah, that's, that's probably not a good strategy. So we have to make these boundaries, we have to, and we have to hold to those boundaries and have forgiveness and really trust, trust our integrity, trust our boundaries. And then with, with, with working with uh, shame, um, the um, practice that's very valuable in that is a sense of, is, is confidence and considerate. To be confident and to be considerate. And this sense of, of, of trusting yourself. Uh, the Buddha calls it sada or faith. Is a, is, a, is a term that is very key in Buddhist practice but not showing up a lot. It's one of the five spiritual faculties which is a great package of teaching, this sense of confidence and trust. It's also the, in the Abhidharma, it's the first of 26 beautiful mental factors that arise. Confidence, mindfulness, conscious and concern. And this is really, really a sense of, of, of a, a, a trusting of oneself. Um, also, it's very important to learn to, to begin to have some emotional intelligence and having tolerance for difficult emotions having a tolerance for difficult emotions, and really um, standing up for yourself and self-compassion. Self-compassion for the ways in which you know you have been ridiculed and criticized and blamed by the world or by others. And what this does is these healing fields, what they do is uh, they no longer seek the arrow. They're no longer seeking an arrow. They're, they're, they're expanding. Uh, they're not shrinking back into the, the sense of being hurt and I need to protect myself from the world, but they're, they're expansive and they allow us to be, to be honest and to be authentic and to have good relationships. Uh, and there's healing fields uh, that Mario Martinez speaks of and I believe the Buddha speaks of when he's talking about chitta, um, of, of, of renunciation and kindness and generosity and we were able to expand out into the world. Um, and to, to heal. 
uh, through these practices. So, I do have some time. I want to take some questions. I'm very curious to hear what you have to say. So I think I'll pause there and thank you very much for your attention and happy to take any questions or comments you have about this talk this morning. Thank you. Thank you.